welcome to Utopias Now. Work can be a source of joy for many people, but at the same time, it can also be a source of stress, a source of anxiety, and even a source of pain. And even if we try to remove ourselves from this idea of work or work itself, it is very hard to do so considering it's a huge part of our lives. It's a center point of our lives and for many people, and it allows us to function as a society and to progress forward and even to find meaning. However, there's uh, something to consider, which is the ever-changing nature of our world. And increasingly, there's a number of choices and different career paths that we can pursue, particularly those um, who are starting at the beginning of their career, like people like myself, who face a great dilemma. And that dilemma is, what do we do with our lives and how do we spend that time? And what career do we take and how do we find purpose but at the same time do something that we're passionate about or do something that makes us money? And to answer these questions, we first must know what will the future of work be? And to explore some of these talk topics, we talked to a very, very interesting guest today and his name was Paul Millard. And Paul is a what you would call a curious human and he's also a solopreneur. He's a writer and the host of the Reimagined Work podcast. He's a teacher at his company, Strategy U, an independent consultant and former consultant at huge companies like McKinsey and BCG, Wrangler, Russell Reynolds Associates, and even Good Jobs Associates. And Paul's strategy in life is to stay curious and to share what he learns through his journeys and, and find people that are wanting to have conversations and have curious conversations, which is very interesting. And you can find and have a curious conversation with Paul by going on his website. Um, but apart from that, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a very interesting and formative experience, or I should rather say transformative experience. And we hope that you all have the same energy or get the same out of it that Shashwan and I did. I wanted to start off by telling you why I was so, so, so excited to talk to you and very, very intrigued. It's because um, the path you are on that you call the pathless path, where you're living this boundless life, is something I've always strived to live. It's something that I am very passionate about. I want to live this free life, this creative life, where I can just be who I am, um, and just explore and have fun and be well and express my creativity to the fullest of my capacity. But on the other hand, I live in a conservative family, which put me in Babson College, which you might know to be a very capitalistic school, and uh, they expect me to get a very high paying job. And so I decided, well, I have interest in thinking, I love asking questions, I uh, love solving problems, what can I do? What can I do to make my parents happy? And I thought, okay, well, strategy consulting might be the way. It seems like an interesting path. And, uh, you know, if nothing, if I can't just be a professional philosopher, I might as well just be a strategy consultant to make my parents happy. I, I was so intrigued by what you said in one of your other podcasts where you're passionate about um, content coaching community. That's what I want to be doing. But on the other hand, I have this pressure to get, like I said, a very high paying job. And um, I'm striving now to apply to firms like McKinsey and BCG and Bain and all these different high paying consulting firms. And then when I saw that you went down that path, you went through those experiences that I wanted to go through or that I think I need to go through because that's what my parents say. And then you left those and then now you're on this pathless path that you call. 
which I've always wanted to be in, it really baffled me and intrigued me and confused me as in, why would you do that? Why did you leave such high paying jobs at BCG and McKinsey and choose this pathless path that you call? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a question I don't really have a good answer to. I think I, I wanted what your parents wanted when I was in, when I was your age, when I was in college, I went to UConn, I went to a school. Uh, I think Babson is also like kind of what they call non-target school. Um, basically means not good enough to be recruited at these top firms. So I wanted that really badly. And I think I wanted that because the only conception of life I had really imagined was one in which you go into the real world and work. And if I was going to go into the real world and work, I wanted it to be like the best thing I could get. I wanted to be like Alan Watts has said, we cling after these things that make us feel special. Um, because if we're special, then we don't have to face the uneasiness or the discomfort of like who we are. Right. So I, I think I was drawn to that. I think two things is one, I actually loved consulting uh, and like the core work of it. I love it. And I still do some consulting work. I love teaching people those skills. I love working on some consulting projects. But what shifted for me is that it went from like doing the work to you're in this environment where everyone is absorbed around this idea that you constantly need to be moving, progressing, uh, getting paid more. Um, and to coast, like to coast, to like stay at the same level is to be a failure in these worlds. Um, so I was at this tension of like just wanting to do interesting work, but like, I don't know, like, no more than 40 hours a week. Whereas like everyone's like, well, you need to try and get promoted and you start like moving up, you acquire new skills, which is cool. But you also start, you shift away from like the, the deep learning that happens at the beginning of consulting to, okay, how, how do you learn how to talk like somebody that gets promoted at this firm? How do you learn how to dress like somebody that gets promoted? How do you network and build relationships? like somebody that takes their career seriously. And I think what I found at the end of that was I was becoming someone I didn't want to be. And I was so sure of that in which it was super easy to walk away. I didn't want to die. Like not in the literal sense, but in the metaphorical sense of like, I didn't want to kill off who I was deep inside me. Um, and we can explore like how I started to, reflect on who I was over the years, but, um, yeah, it, it's really easy to walk away. Um, do I feel, still feel like pretty stupid? Yeah. Um, I have friends buying like huge houses and basically set financially for their life. And I left before that happened for me. Um, but I also love the path I'm on now and I'm trying to make it work for me. And there's, I have a hunch that uh, carving my own path and doing it on my own terms or in my own principles is a more long-term sustainable strategy. It's very interesting you put it that way, that it's a long-term sustainable strategy of defining your own path and 
carving it out for yourself. So I'm curious to know, I would love to hear your thoughts on um, your reflective process and that metamorphosis that you went through. But before that, I'm curious to know, to anyone who might be in this phase of college where they're just about to graduate, uh, they're on that fork where they're deciding which path do I take? Do I take this conventional path where um, maybe I get a consulting job, a finance job, you know, any of these paths that are usually taken that are called the so-called comfortable or safe options, or then the other path, the path not taken, the road not taken. What would you tell anyone in our phase in life, um, based on your experiences, which path to take? I wouldn't tell them anything because I don't know who they are. But uh, what I what I what I would tell them is like don't um don't be stupid too right like uh you can make good money by like working in that world and then that money can give you freedom to make different choices in the future which is kind of where i am i didn't save like a lot of people have these crazy numbers like i need a million dollars i need two million it's insane you really don't need that much like for me it was like 30 to 40 grand in savings such that I know I could go several months without earning any money. Um, and once I had that, I kind of just gave myself permission to go. And then um, I think the deeper thing is like figure, figuring out what matters to you and then not compromising it, right? So you, say you, so you might claim you want this creative life. What are you doing to make that happen now, right? And I, you, you guys are connecting across the world and also um, doing a podcast, experimenting with YouTube. That's awesome. Just keep doing that. And if you find that like your day job is forcing you to compromise that, you need to decide, am I willing to do that? Does it fit with what I claim to care about? And it's really like those questions, right? For me, what I realized is like this corporate full-time path, I didn't have excess energy. People talk about like, oh, do side hustles, work it on the weekend. I can't do that. I don't think most people can do that. That's mostly advice for like hardcore high energy people. Um, I have like a certain reserve of like mental and emotional energy. And like my full-time job was absorbing 98% of it. Um, so yeah, and some people can make it work, some can't, but it's really about knowing yourself, knowing what you're willing to give up or not give up and uh, keep reassessing along the way. Mm. That's, that's so interesting, Paul. Um, thank you for sharing, by the way. Um, something that really stood out to me uh, when you were saying previously is that you said, I knew if I would stay, it would kill me. Um, and, you know, obviously you were referring in the metaphorical sense, but it was... it when you said that it was very definite as if you knew and i know that uh, leaving a job or departing from a career which you've spent years in is often one of the most difficult decisions people can make mm -hmm. i'm sure um, from your research in the future of work that you've probably seen that that's a quite a common problem especially with people that are older they have families maybe there's certain variables that make it much more difficult to to leave the workforce but you mentioned that it would kill you if you did it and it was a very easy decision for that very reason. Um, I would be interested to know 
first of all, for all those that are, for our listeners that are maybe unsure about what a management consulting is, if you could just um, give a bit of insight about what it is, what management consulting is, so they know what you're leaving. And then how did you know so definitively to leave? Yeah. So, I mean, consulting at a high level is you get hired by senior executive or hired teams to solve big business problems. And it's really interesting because most people in companies don't get placed on teams to solve those problems. So you're thinking very strategically, very creatively, um, going deep on data analysis, information, talking to people, making sense of it and helping people make decisions. Basically what you're doing is trying to raise the probability that people make better decisions, whether they do it or not. People can disagree on that, but that's kind of what consulting is. Day-to-day, you're mostly making PowerPoint slides, doing data analysis, doing interviews, synthesizing information, and telling stories on PowerPoint. Um, And that's really what the job is. Um, I really enjoyed my time in consulting. I loved the work. Um, But after my fourth job in the industry, I just kind of ran out of moves. I loved what I discovered along the way is every time I moved to a different firm, I loved that first three month period in which I was learning. It was explosive. And part of me realized like that is something that really drives me and fuels me. Right. Um, And that's part of me that I wanted to save. I also started writing. I got sick after graduate school and fought a health crisis for a year and a half. And I started writing and it helped me express part of me. Along that way, I discovered I loved writing. And I kept writing, I kept writing, I kept, it kept drawing me to do these experiments. I experimented with career coaching, um, all mentoring people on the side. I loved all these things. But at the end of the day, like my job was just like zapping my energy because it doesn't matter how cool your work is. If your boss is somebody that like his entire life is work and that is the most important thing in life. And he's emailing you at Saturday night at 10 PM. You it's really hard to get rid of the anxiety that comes with that. I wasn't somebody that was well adapted to that. Um, So doing all these experiments, finding all these things I loved along the way, made it really easy to walk away. When I walked away, it was just like, that was the final step. But all this creative energy had been emerging on the side. Um, And then I reached a point where it's like, okay, is it this creative energy I want to follow? Or is it the guaranteed safe path? Right? Um, So yeah, and I think... I, I mean, I wouldn't pay too much attention to like what people cl- say they want to do. So many people say, I want to work on my own. I want to quit my job. I don't think they're telling the truth. <laughs> Most of the people I know that leave and do things like I'm doing, it's very easy. It might take years, but it's very easy once they make this decision. It becomes very obvious that like an alternative or path or just any alternative at all is better than what they're currently on. And most people say, oh, I wish I could work on my own. Well, then it's like you ask them, oh, are you willing to lower your salary? Well, no, of course not. I want to make exactly what I'm making now. I need that. I have a house and kids. And what they're really saying is they prioritize the other stuff more. (laughs) For me, 
I prioritize the freedom in the journey and the like intellectual exploration and the curiosity way higher than other people um, value the comfort, the money, the status that comes with like having a high paying job. Like if you're a consultant and you make good money, people will praise you all the time. People will think you're great. People will say good things about you. Your parents will be happy about you. Nobody will ever ask you why you're doing what you're doing. So to step off that path is not merely to give up money. It's actually to have everyone in your life start being like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why wouldn't you, why would you leave this path that makes sense? Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's the reality of it. So it's interesting. I, I got my answer through what you just said. It sounds like uh, it comes down to our needs and values and weighing them out what do, what do i value more do i value security and stability on one hand or do i value the creative freedom and the capacity to just explore and be on that journey so yes i i got my answer based on what you just yeah. said but so yes follow-up question for you sashua um at the beginning all you talked about was what your parents wanted and you said i'd like this but you framed it as like something silly like, what do you actually value? So to me, it would be similar to what it sounds like you value. What I value is to be able to follow my heart. What I value is to help people. What I value is to, like you're writing a book, to take that pathless path. And maybe, I guess that's not a value. That's a strategy towards filling my needs and my values. But I would say in terms of my needs, my I have a need for creative expression. I have a need for freedom and I have a need to give to people from the heart. And that being said, I think there can be a balance where I am going to be in the United States for one more year uh, after I graduate. And my parents would like me to seize that opportunity and do something and learn something in the workforce. And so I'm happy to do that just to experience what the world is like, what the corporate environments yeah. are like. And then once I get a taste of it, then being able to uh, follow my heart and then potentially bridge the gap between the two, because I'm also interested in how organizations work, why people act the way they do, how we can optimize organizations where people feel their best and also perform their best and uh, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. What's your heart saying now? My <laughs> My heart is saying to continue doing what I'm currently doing, which is yeah. to come from a place of curiosity, to connect with people from the heart, to, um, yeah, just to explore and, like you said, run these experiments. I love to find amusement and absurdity, and that may be risky, but I think that risk is what makes it fun for me. It makes me feel like I'm riding on a surfboard, always on the edge yeah. of something. I feel like that's what makes me feel alive. And regardless, I may come from a conservative family and there may be things um, like stability and security and societal, you know, fitting into society that I am conditioned to value, but I also believe that I'm on a path to deconditioning them and also recognizing them and acknowledging um, them rather than dismissing them or getting frustrated about them. Yeah, I mean, what matters more, approval or curiosity to you? 
to me, it's always curiosity. I can't stop asking questions. That's the reason me and Xavier decided, well, we have bursting curiosity. We just want to know more from people who want to share yeah. more. So yeah, that's why we're following this path of curiosity. It mm-hmm. might lead you to blow up your life though. Are you ready for that? <laughs> well, after a lot of nihilistic takes and uh, diving deep into philosophy, I realized that Ultimately, none of it matters that I'm literally nothing. And so, you know, I blow it up. I blow it up. Anyway, things are going to blow up eventually. So why not do what I really want to do from the bottom of my heart? And then if that blows up some things in my life, well, I don't mean like to the planet or like cause harm to others, but uh, to myself, I take that risk. And um, I think I'm willing to, even though it's a little bit scary and perhaps easier said than done, uh, I know deep down, I that's what will give me the sense of fulfillment and a sense of freedom that I've always been seeking. But what intrigues me more is when my parents, when society, quote unquote, says uh, work is really important and uh, career, you better make a good career. What is What career are you going down? What career path are you taking, right? And I never really understood. What do they mean by work? What do they mean by careers? And since you you do so much research into the future of work and you said you did career coaching, I'm curious to know from you, what would you say work means and what is a career? I think for me, 10 years ago, work was a full-time job, paid contracted labor, right? I think that's actually a mistake. They think of work only as what can be paid for. You see these ikigai diagrams. It's basically a some. It's basically Westerners taking this Japanese concept that means reason for being, and then trying to add a work uh, like capitalistic work lens to it, which is like what you love, what you can be paid for. The reality is, if you follow what you love, it, a good chunk of it might not be something you can get paid for. <laughs> And I think of work is really, we, we all have these drives. I think most people feel useless if they do nothing, right? Literally nothing. Right. But you can get rid of that feeling by actually like listening to what you're like called to, right? I don't get paid for a lot of the stuff I do this conversation talking with people, mentoring people, writing. Um, I might get some money here and there, but I would do it regardless, right? And that for me is like the work um, I feel increasingly drawn to. Um, I feel like it's contributing. I feel like it helps some people sometimes. It definitely helps me at least be a better person and I'm able to give back in other parts of my life. So I think really small around work, it's like, how do you bring forth what's inside you in terms of helping other people? I think channeling creativity is one of the most important things in the world. Um, and creativity broadly, creativity can be being a friend. It can be helping out somebody. It can be parenting. It can be writing. Uh, it could be running a YouTube channel. It can be all sorts of different things. But I think we need to broaden the lens of like what we consider work. Um, we have this phrase in the U S it's like, oh, you're 
you're choosing to stay home with your kids, that's madness, right? Guy or woman who chooses to not work for their kids, like they're still choosing to do work, right? And in some sense, probably more meaningful work. Like all the parents that work two full-time jobs and outsource their kid to their nanny, like what's the cost of that long-term? I don't know, (laughs) right? So what, yeah, I, I think I'm just a lot lighter on work. And I think most people are like deluded when they only see work as what can be paid for or a full-time job. And that's very much the American mindset. That's very much like the educated mindset across the world. Um, it's you need to get paid for it and you need to work 260 days a year. We stopped we used to lower our work weeks for like 50 to 70 years. And then we just flatlined. It's completely artificial how much we work. We could work less. Some countries work less, some work more. Um, but yeah, broader definition of work. For sure. And um, I think all things considered, the theme that I've seen, especially in Australia um, for university students is uh, even like after you graduate high school, there's sort of a expectation, societal expectations and norm, which I'm sure apply to most other countries like India, like America, where after you finish high school, you're assumed to go to, into university. And after you finish university, you have to get a graduate job. And then after you get a graduate job, you climb the, the career ladder, so to speak, if, un, un, in the context of the corporate world, at least. And if you slightly deviate from that path, um, there seems to be, like you said, this sort of stigma, like even if you're taking care of your own kids, which is such a bizarre thing to even think about and to fathom. And um, like you said, I think you referred to this in your podcast earlier, there was research done by um, someone, I forget his name, but how he predicted that in the future, there would be less work because our capacity for work would increase by, it would increase exponentially just given the efficiency that increases. And yet, like you said, our work has increased and alongside complexity increasing, for example, in business regulations and laws, complexity is increasing and which makes it much more difficult to understand things, which means you have to invest more time into doing things. Um, it, this reminds me of a metaphor that's in The Good Ancestor. It's a book by Roman Krasnick, and he talks about how there's basically a, a barrier. There's a wall on the outside of a city. And if you were to go beyond that wall, everyone is horrified because they don't know what's on the outside. And it's much more easier to stay within the realms of the, of the dystopia, as, to put in the context of utopia. Um, and so for a lot of people, they're probably interested to see how do you, what, what is it like to leave, I guess, this kingdom where you don't know what are beyond the walls and you don't know what could go wrong or what could go right. And how do you explore that? How do you navigate that? Cause I'm sure there's many people that would not want to follow that what is traditional or what is expected of them. And yet they know deep down, that's really what they want to do. Yeah, that that's a good it's a good story. And you, I see that there's a lot of versions of that story, right? I think M. Night Shyamalan had a movie where it was like this very old village, right? And then they were scared of what was outside. And then they finally went to go outside at the end. And it's just like the modern world, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, it's, 
I don't, I don't know what this is. I, I think what we've done is work. You go back in time. I so saw I've gone deep into like the history of work. The history of work is basically that like we came up with religious and community and culture ideas that we need to work to take care of our community. And those who do not work do not eat. Right. And that actually used to make literal sense. <laughs> Right. You had to work to like get the food to eat. Um, that doesn't make sense anymore, but we've layered all these things to, so to like, to be a good person, we've paired with these outdated religious concepts of work. And then we paired it to paid employment. And then in the fifties through the eighties, we paired it with this like very comfortable corporate path before world war two, like most people were entrepreneurs, like, like I'm trying to be. Um, it's just that we have no memory of that. All we remember is like our grandfather who worked in this stable job and then our dad who worked in this stable job. And we're tying up all these ideas around the idea that like you need to work to be a good person. But what that means in today's world is that you need to work in a job and you need to suffer. There is a ton of suffering as a side effect of like this corporate world. Mostly men worked in the middle of the 20th century and then women added to it once women went in the workforce they were like this whole system sucks <laughs> right super oriented towards men but the real truth there is like it was just as bad for like a good majority of the men everyone has to be someone they're not they have to like pretend to play all these games and we still have the legacies of that um so we're desperately clinging to this old world which is already kind of died we just pretend it hasn't um like in the u.s i think like 32 percent of americans have full-time jobs if you count everyone yeah and just to cut in really quickly paul it's a very similar figures in australia i think half of the yeah. workforce if i'm not mistaken works part-time or something close to that and i think more than half of the workforce in australia is actually classified as un disengaged from their work which is absolutely crazy well, it's not that crazy. Most of the job people are doing is like pointlessly long or not interesting, <laughs> right? You're forced to work 260 days a year or around there. And you're just like filling weeks with information and all sorts of nonsense to come up with to make sense of why you're working so much. Um, it'd be much harder to like shift away from that and change it. Um, and then like parents found success on that and then they just want their kids to do the same but the weird thing is like parents are basically prioritizing these outdated work beliefs as a lens for like approval of their kids over actually just seeing their kids thrive um and it's it's a shame <laughs> so Paul, it's interesting how you characterized work and how you said today's modern day workforce or the corporate environments ultimately, or what I'd say in my words, deteriorate the human spirit, right? Women came into it, saw it, uh, recognized it, and uh, we're still continuing that down that path. And there's this very linguistic difference that we make in society, which always 
really fascinates me, I'll say. On one side, we say there's work. On the other side, we say there's life. On one side, we say that there is a profession. On the other side, what we do as amateurs. And then on one side, we say this is vocation. On the other side, we say there's avocation. And this duality that's been created of work versus life just confuses yeah. me a lot because why would I do something? I mean, it seems like work is this dreadful thing that we must do to survive. And life is where we go and enjoy, right? We go earn money here and we constantly do that. And then somewhat there's this conception that, oh, then I retire and then I can live my life. But when I'm working, I can't live my life. I, I must just keep on working like this crazy rat on this wheel without really thinking mindlessly going down this path. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this, this dichotomy, this duality that's created uh, from history in the present? And then where do you see this going in the future? Yeah, I mean, the whole work-life balance thing is just an insane way to look at things. I, I think it, it's a good phrase to like actually position things as like work is actually eating up part of our life. Um, but I think it's a wrong framing, right? Work-life balance starts with work first and says, like, I ask people the question, like, are you, are you a worker? People will have a hard time with that. They'll say, no. I'm like, well, how do you decide where to live? Who do you hang out with? Um, how do you just like, how much money do you have? And why is that? Um, what do you read? Why do you read that? Um, like, what are you learning right now? Why are you learning that? And <laughs> I see Xavier getting uncomfortable, but um it's then people are like, holy shit, I'm a worker. <laughs> and I'm like, well, is that life sufficient for you? And if not, what is the life that is sufficient for you? So, I mean, my journey is really about flipping that and just saying like life and then work that fits into my life. Um, and I, I do wonder, like, I wonder if retirement is like this, the idea that has like kept us trapped for so long. It's all about like suffering now for a future payoff. But like everyone I see retired is like hobbling around in different locations, like bad backs and like health issues. Like, I don't know if I want to travel at that age. I kind of just want to like settle in and keep writing and read books at that age and hopefully contribute to my community. still. I which in a sense, like I don't want to retire. So I just wanted to put forward a, a, I just wanted to challenge this idea a bit because I'm sure there's probably yeah. some, some cynical listeners or some listeners that think it's unrealistic to say, well, you know what? I want to have a family. I want to buy a house. I want the white picket fence, the American dream or wherever you are, you know, the, the, the stable life. And this idea of being a digital nomad or working for yourself or living wherever you want and, you know, hanging out with with friends that are outside your work. Well, you know, I spend most of my time in work. So why would I do that? Um, what is the, what is the case for not, for not living in the traditional lifestyle, right? Because it is very, I guess, um, very persuasive because everyone does it. Right. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? The case is if you realize it doesn't work for you. Mm. I don't care how people live their lives, but just be yeah. honest about what you're opting into. Mm. Um, I, I, there's a very small amount of people that are like, how could you say this? 
Well, I can say this because I choose not to own a home. I choose not to own stuff. I choose not to buy stuff. I choose not to spend very much on my life. <laughs> and it makes it very easy. If you, if you want a home and you're angry at somebody living like I do, there's probably an unprocessed issue there. Envy um, about my lifestyle because maybe you really want it um, and you hate that you've opted into these expensive choices, but like, I don't want people to follow me. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm trying to find the people like me, the curious people who want to fight for their curiosity. Cause those are the people I want to be friends with. I also have tons of friends. Like, to be honest, some of the most favorite, my favorite people are the people that are working full-time jobs. Like I have a friend who's like writing book on the side. And like, he, he likes his job. He puts in 40 hours a week, does interesting stuff, channels his creativity into his day job. Um, and still has like creativity and passion left for his family. Crushing it. I love it. Like he owns a home. He's following the traditional path, but like we have a ton in common because we connect on our curiosity. Um, yeah. Other people that just like make that path work for them. I wish I was them. Like I'm not them. I, I, I couldn't make it work. Like, and I, I think it just comes down to a lot of people are lying to themselves, right? Because they see that as the norm. Um, but they're like, oh, I, I'm, I need to force myself. I need to do this for like 10 years and then earn enough to escape, right? Like, that's not the majority of people. The majority of the people like just going along, doing what other people are doing and fitting into that. Like, it'd be super convenient if I was that person, but I'm not. So a lot of what I'm hearing is that um, choosing this sort of lifestyle is not something that you should want to do. It's, it's for those people that need to do it because if they were to do the traditional lifestyle, it would, like you said, it would kill you in a metaphorical sense. It would take away the, take away the essence of, of what you're feeling in that moment and what you want to do and what you want to spend your time with. Um, yeah. And some, it also relates to, I guess, what comes in my mind most vivid, vividly is the development of like, personality types right how yeah for if you sure. go back 100 200 years ago there was maybe a few types of people and if you deviated from those sort of personalities you'd be you know and now with yeah. now with psychology expanding there's different types of people there's a there is a a continuum of people and similarly similarly now it's sort of like there's maybe a continuum of work, what work can be. Maybe you don't have to spend 40 hours a week in one place for that to be work. It's a continuum. Maybe you can go live somewhere else and work from wherever you are and you don't have to be doing this. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know if there were less types of people back then. I think there was just more oppression. <laughs> sure. Sure. I agree. Um, but I mean, there's evidence of people being pretty weird and unique all throughout history. Um, but yeah, uh, that's the thing too, is the possibilities have expanded, <laughs> like the freedom to be different types of people and explore different types of work is way more than it was even like 30 years ago. Um, so I feel like some people just are like grumpy and don't like change. <laughs> I don't want this to be true. <laughs> I hate that you don't have to suffer in the same way I did. Right. It's like, okay, but I'm going to live in reality. I'm going to decide to live in the present. Turns out like remote work is fully possible. You can work your entire career now and never step foot in an office. That's just a fact. <laughs> 
if you don't like that, like that's a different challenge. <laughs> but like, I really enjoy living in the world that exists now. Cause it's way easier than trying to live in a world I think should exist. So Paul, I'm curious to know, you said um, there's been uh, all sorts of unique and weird people throughout history. And it sounds like now is the time when it's way more possible than ever before to be able to embrace that and to follow the unconventional path. So I, as I said at the beginning, that's something I'd like to do. I consider myself somewhat weird and, um, even as I say that, I have some hesitance in saying that because there are certain societal conceptions um, or linguistic ways to think about weirdness. So yeah, I'm wondering sure. what what would you tell anyone or well, for me, this is mainly this is my curiosity of how to embrace that uh, weirdness and build this mindset because it is scary, right? Like being in a conservative family, I'm told these stories and it's like, no, 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 I, I, I better go back to that. They're right. I need to live a comfortable life and all these stories that keep on going. And then my heart is saying something else and I want to do that. But there's this fear that, oh, I don't know if I'll really be able to do it, whether I'll be accepted, whether I will belong to society or to any community and whether I will be able, even be able to make a difference or achieve what I really want to achieve and be free in that sense. So what would you say to uh, me or anyone who has that resistance or that fear in embracing that weirdness and taking that unconventional path, but deep down really, really want to go there? I, I think two things. I think one would be to figure out how to disappoint your parents sooner rather than later. And just see how that feels. <laughs> Um, maybe do it in a very safe way, but, um, like it sounds like they don't actually want the best for you. And I mean, my, my wife is, uh, from an East Asian family. Um, so I, I understand there are different cultures, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think it's smart to live your entire life trying to, um, just please your parents. It probably not the best strategy. And it's, it's not like, like if you have the resources to go to college, I guarantee you're not going to college to like save them from poverty. Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, so like we need to embrace some of the freedom we have. And then I think the second thing, like just practical weirdness, find weird goals. So like trying to get a full-time job at a consulting firm is not weird. Um, but if you decided you're going to wear a bow tie every day, that's weird. There was somebody that did that at uh, BCG I worked with. Every day we're like colorful shoes, bow ties, and a vest. It was awesome. Like he was just like, basically, I'm not going to compromise on this part of me dressing in this way I really enjoy. And he just owned it and embraced it, right? So like to operate in today's world, you have to conform yourself in certain ways, right? When I do consulting projects, I put on a business mode. I'm not gonna just be like, oh, I have to be this way. I have to like not care. I have to like, again, act in the real world, but like embrace weird goals, right? Um, I think Venkatesh Rao has a good post on this. 
uh, he calls them like fixed points, right? Mo most people orient around default fixed points. Like no matter what I need to own a home, no matter what I need to make $200,000 a year, no matter what I need to get into an elite grad school. Fine. But the problem with that, I think, is that you succeed and fail in predictable ways. When you succeed on a goal that everyone else is doing, you know exactly how you're supposed to feel. How, why do you know exactly how you're supposed to feel? Because you've seen it in movies. You've seen your friends celebrate. Like everyone, everyone's like basically performing the same feelings, right? When you have a kid, you do the same announcement that everyone else is doing. Like you have reveal parties, you have baby showers, same thing with the weddings. Everyone kind of processes it in the same ways. Um, and when you fail, you know, you're supposed to feel like shit because you see everyone else around you succeeding. Right. So, I mean, those goals are fine. Like I might buy a house at one point, but it's not own a home no matter what. Cause that's just really freaking boring to me. For me, it's wake up every day without an alarm clock. That's a way more interesting constraint. And basically go as long as possible without having to work a job. <laughs> Four years so far. We'll see how long I can make it. I don't know how long, but like those are my constraints right now. And they're a lot weirder and more fun. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. And it sounds like we have been conditioned culturally with these sort of narratives that we fall into the trap of, or maybe not trap, but we fall into, we conform by because it's known. And it sounds like we don't have enough narratives that shows what the other side is like. We don't have enough um, or not yet enough cultural uh, phenomena or stories that tell us that, oh, this is a path that's possible. And this is a path yeah. that's fulfilling and does not mean failure or does not mean, you know, dying or all these different things that are said to make people fear this other path. So I'm wondering if you could describe uh, what your life is like now. What is this pathless path that you call? Um, what do you do these days? What makes you <laughs> curious these days? And what's a lot these days? Yeah, so I every every day is flexible. So like every day is kind of like open for spontaneity. So if a friend, I orient around a lot around relationships, the relationship with my wife, the relationship to my friends. So if like people need me or want me, I like, I prioritize that and like jump in into that. Um, a lot of times I still have routines. Like I like to write every day. That's like my anchor routine is like make coffee, write, and then see where the rest of the day takes me. Um, I'm usually like working on one project at a time, like per, like every month there's like one or two projects. So I'll anchor around that or things I'm working on from February to May. I was studying Chinese five days a week, three hours a day and writing my book. And those are my goals. And then like some of the online business stuff, like I was running that on the side but very minimal. Everything I do is designed around like not having to create a job for myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very seasonal. It shifts. Uh, when I'm home in the States, I tend to spend more time with family uh, and design around that. Um, when I'm in Taiwan, I probably do a little more work. When I'm in other countries, we might explore a little more. 
Yeah, it's, it's very open and spontaneous. I'd say most days I try to go for a long walk or a bike ride. Um, a lot of stuff's closed now, but like normally like hikes during the week. Uh, and I do a lot of that in the afternoons. Like the morning, you usually will like write or work for two to three hours. Um, and then maybe I do some later at night or in the afternoon, but it's really like if I have the energy and there's something I want to work on. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And when you first were describing a couple of things, like you do hiking, you don't have an alarm. My, my first instinct as a, as a finance student, someone who wants to go into consulting as well is like, wow, that sounds really bizarre, like in the best possible way. But it's yeah. like, shouldn't you like my first programming is shouldn't you be doing work, which is, yeah. is I mean, it's quite an interesting intuition. Um, I went it, through that too. I mm. think, um, I, so I tried to lean really hard into like non-work. How do you build a life not centered around work? Mm. My bet was that if I could figure out how to actually enjoy my life, not centered around work, I might one, figure out who I am and two, have more resilience to like adopting mm. to adapting to different modes. Right. So like if I have a kid, I could actually be present rather mm. than still addicted to my work. Sure. But in, in doing that, I still had this voice, like you should be working, you're useless, you're a waste, you're a waste, you could be making money. What are you doing? Not making money. You're worthless. Mm. Right. I still have those voices. Mm. But over time, you just tell your tell the voices like "shut up." Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing and, that. <laughs> and I, like, with all that being said, I mean, Shashua brought up something I, I latched onto quite, um, quite strongly, which is you talked about narratives, and then also there's a link in 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 um, consulting because consulting is about narratives as well. It's about storytelling, mm. and. Um, there seems to be like, like you said, Josh, a lack of narratives within the not within non-work life. What does that and what non-work life looks like? And so I was wondering for you, Paul, like, what is your philosophy on life in that case? Because I think within modern day philosophers, if we were just to look at people like Peter Singer, um, like John Rawls, there's a lot of modern day philosophers that probably come from a very work oriented lifestyle. Mm. Whereas if you look back at the Greeks, like Aristotle, like Socrates, they came from, I think, a non-work background, like maybe beside, aside from maybe political um, engagements that they were involved in, they were very much engaged in just living their life, enjoying it. And I, I think Aurel Marcus Aurelius, when he wrote his meditations, I think at that time, that uh, that point of time he was banished from from the city and he was writing in in this house for like the whole time and he was just living life and basically writing a journal to himself and in that sense it's very similar to just living your life and just writing so what is your philosophy on life um in from and specifically a non-work perspective yeah so i think you're spot on i i think what i'd add is uh, like the greeks the the romans they, um, that, that life was only for a select few people, right? There was masses of people, basically slaves who did all the work. Um, but the pursuit of leisure is how I think about work is what basically like people like Socrates, Plato, um, were talking about which is that the prime aim of life is to contemplate and pursue wisdom, right? Um, the wisdom of like how to live one's life. That is like the ultimate aim and pursuit of life. 
And interesting enough, like the word for work was not leisure. Like in Greek, it literally translates to not at leisure. That's their word for work, right? So th that implies leisure is the center of life. And in a sense, I think we've basically lost that sense of leisure. Leisure, what's a just quick association? When you hear leisure, what do you think of? Reading. Shashua? To me, when the first thing when you said leisure was people and dancing and singing and engaging in artistic work. Yeah, so I think it sounds like something has opened up for you guys in terms of like how you're seeing the world. You're seeing the world different than I was at your age, which was basically through a work lens and leisure is just rest for more work, right? Most people see leisure as like a recovery from work. Leisure is Netflix. It is going on a vacation. It is simply a break from work to do more work, mm. right? You leisure such that you can work more. Um, but if you only go back a decent amount, like leisure was really an active engagement with the world. Mm. Um, leisure was, could be something where uh, you are dancing and you're fully immersed in doing, but not in a way that's like emptying you, mm. right? Or you're doing something that you're called to. And like some people luck upon their jobs being as in a state of leisure, right? Some writers love what they do. Some full-time workers love what they do. And it like brings them alive and makes their life better. Um, but most of what we look at as work is like, Works like a necessary evil. We have to do it. And then like leisure is just rest. Most people don't enter a state of leisure in their entire adult lives. They might, they, you can tell when somebody's discovered a state of leisure, when they start their eyes brighten up, they're being like, Oh, I'm going to learn dancing or I'm going to learn to play an instrument or, Oh, I just went down this deep dive of like reading these 10, 15 different books and writing about them. Like that's, leisure um when you're contemplating like the big questions and actively engaging with who you are in the world something i i mean that just dawned upon me now is like what you said paul which was even our conceptions of leisure uh leisure insofar as they help us recover so we can work more yeah and and it's also leisure insofar as it's considered a waste of time in some sense. So if someone is like relaxing or not working, um, it is, you know, and I'm very guilty of this as well, because if I'm, you know, watching a strategy YouTube video or if I'm doing something else um, in at the back of my head, I'm like, should I be doing more university work? Should I be raising my GPA? Or if in the context of work, should I be dedicating more hours to solving this project? It, even that, simple conception of leisure is so skewed whereas like you said it's really the engagement with life and that's what leisure is yeah I d i'm surprised at how many college students i talk to these days um where do they learn not in the classroom mm. not in <laughs> they're they're learning on youtube and they're learning shit they're actually interested in mm. right mm. like yeah, for sure I mean, not to toot my own horn, but like my consulting videos will literally teach you what you learn in consulting and you don't have to go work in the industry. Hmm. That, that wasn't even available to me 
15 years ago. It's crazy. Mm. It's interesting you say that. I think that also demonstrates the, the life we live now and what we used to think of as a future, but that future seems to be now where technology has disrupted a lot of ways society yeah. works and has created new ways we can work. Do you consider that, that conception of work to still be in the future or is it already now? And regardless of that, what is the future of work? Yeah, so I, I think the future of work is a term that doesn't mean anything anymore, right? And it's a way for like people to talk about something that's interesting that does without actually taking action. <laughs> the, re the reality is like the possibilities already exist to create a different way of working. What we saw in the last year is we saw a lot of companies go remotely but refuse to actually change how they're working. Mm. Their conception of work is like these in-person meetings where you talk about stuff. So they just sent employees home and said, all right, we're going to work remotely. So then they just perform the meetings in zoom and it's the same nonsense. They're not actually working. They're showing up and like trying to figure stuff out. And then at the end of the meetings, nobody knows what they're doing next. Right. Um, at the same time, there are companies that said like, okay, we're, we're a remote company. We're not going to do any meetings and we're going to structure everything around enabling people to work when they want. And so we can work around the clock and do incredible work. Um, and they're crushing it. <laughs> but like, so the future is already here. It's just like most people want to ignore it, right? Hmm. Like your hardest classes at school, like everyone's worried about saving money to send their kids to school. But like everyone I talk to at school goes to their expensive classes with their overpaid professors and then goes to their buildings that are paid for by their high tuitions and pay the salaries of all these employees at your university. God knows what they're doing. Um, and then when there's a hard problem, people go on YouTube and teach themselves on a free website. <laughs> yeah and then after they graduate they do all the learning they actually need for their life um like in in school is basically just like this toll pass you need to pay to get entry into like the knowledge class and professional class so you can make higher incomes and then we tell all sorts of stories around it but like most learning happens outside of a university in your adulthood yeah you you learn about life as you go you read philosophy you teach yourself stuff when you need to teach yourself i've taught myself more since i've been self-employed than i did like my entire life before that so as you brought up this whole conception of education and how a lot of our education systems you didn't say it's broken but i'd like to say it's broken where people are learning more outside the classroom, outside universities and schools rather than inside. And that's just bizarre to think because then why are we paying so much money to these people <laughs> to quote unquote educate us, to believe in certain narratives and follow those narratives. I get why we do it, but it seems like if we're talking about work, then it's necessary to think about education because education somewhere is trying to prepare us for work. And uh, both me and Xavier are extremely passionate about education. 
Me specifically, I'm extremely passionate about experiential education because I see that right now education is education and work is broken. It's like for the first 21, 22, 23 years of your life, you're getting educated where you're just taking in information mindlessly and writing exams, if nothing else. And then for the rest of your life, you are trying to apply that and uh, working where that's where you're actually bringing stuff out from within that you've learned. But because there's this sort of duality or like first uh, learning and then doing and for such long periods of time, I feel like there's this uh, gap between education and work. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on education and work, how they link and uh, in order to create more fulfilling work, better ways of living and working, what types of education do we need to nurture our children, to nurture people through so that people can live better lives, more fulfilling lives, more meaningful lives once they get to the workforce or whether, I don't know, should that even exist first education and then work or maybe that, can that be just one thing? I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look back in time, like the conception of what a university or higher education was, was not about work. It was about teaching you how to live a full life. The things you say, right? That's changed. Like most schools, like the presidents of the university say, our job is to get people to good jobs. Right. Um, and like, People might say like, yeah, I want my kids to learn. Like at the end of the day, like most people want their kids to just make a lot of money and go to school to get jobs. Like, nobody cares about this stuff. So like what you have to do is create it on your own. Right. And I think this comes back to the past question and is like, when I was, re when I was frustrated with my former path, in a sense, I was also attached to that path because I was constantly complaining about it, right? Now I have nothing to complain about because I, I have the responsibility for my own path and I'm creating it. So I can make changes. I can try to experiment in the way I want to live. And I can also call BS on myself. If something is not working, like I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to be like, okay, I can't BS myself. This isn't working, right? Um, so... And then a second thing worth highlighting is David Deming from economist from Harvard. He did research showing that um, earnings used to peak in like one's early thirties. And what this tells me is basically jobs weren't all that hard. The trends show that like jobs are requiring more cognitive skills, more social skills and more um, creative problem solving skills over time. Um, so jobs are getting harder. Now earnings are like peaking in their 50s or 60s, which means basically all your learning will happen after you've graduated the age of 22. So we need a total reimagination of like what actually we're talking about when we're talking about school. School is very different than learning. Learning is something that humans do. School is a business right? A business at the higher levels and then like glorified babysitting and state sponsored uh, like programming at the lower levels. And, and just to follow up on that as well, Paul, like, I mean, this is uh, referring to a point I mentioned before about, you know, the Greeks. If you look at books like by Epictetus and um, either the Enchiridion, 
Um, I think if you look in like the introduction or the preface of the book, he talks about how they had these schools of philosophy where people would just come and show up. And the only reason they would show up is because they wanted to learn how to live life and they wanted to learn how to be um, present and all the other, these other philosophical claims. And like you said, it seems very strange how now, like you said, it's, you know, learning is for people, whereas in your know, education is a business. Um, and it relates to a quote. I mean, this is more of a comment really, but um, one of my favorite philosophers, Seneca says is that, so you must not think a man has lived long because he has white hair and wrinkles. He has not lived long. He's just existed long. Um, and I think this is something that is, I suppose the result of modern day work, which I, I think looking at it with compassion is quite understandable why yeah. it's come to this point. But at the same time, it, it needs to change in some sense for the people that need that change. Yeah. I think one thing I grew disillusioned with was like systemic change mm. in the consulting world. I think systemic change or like impact as a lot of ambitious young people, I want to have an impact as young people call it. Um, that's basically just a cope for like not being able to pursue your dreams. And you're just like making up a story to make your work pursuit feel better. I don't think we're going to get much change by like going to work in consulting or going to work for an NGO and like trying to make a difference. I think people need to bravely first find who they are, find their principles, find the things that matter, and then try to engage either with systems or building their own. I think we're at the start of a, like a, basically a rebirth of like most of our institutions, which are going to be digital first. It seems inevitable. Um, we're kind of just going through the motions in this old industrial economy way of setting up things. Like a lot of the jobs we glorify now were like prestigious jobs in 1950. It's crazy. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's like, one is just like, figure out who the hell you are, figure out what matters to you. Definitely work in tech or software or engage with technology in some way and then see where you can play. But like things are going to get interesting over the next 30 years. Mm. And, and on that note, um, Paul, um, obviously our channel is called utopias now. And, um, you touched upon an idea that we like to talk about, which is when you were referring to. Um, how we can, the, the idea of future of work and what that means. And you said something along the lines of, well, it is now because if you want to do it, you can make that change. And we're about trying to see the change, obviously through the eyes of conversation, but I think this is where ideas start rolling is through conversation. And so how can we edge towards a, a, a place where the future of work is more adjustable or more, intuitive to what people's needs are yeah so it, i think i disagree with sashwat's claim before that like we don't see many stories there's tons of stories of people doing different stuff now they're way more available than when i graduated college like you can go on instagram and search van life digital nomads fr freelancers right and people are basically just showing you their lifestyles and you can read about them online people write about these things there's tons of podcasts of people taking different paths. Um, so explore those, talk to people. I tell people to do path, um, find a path expert, 
um, of a path that's beyond what they're interested in. So this is kind of what you guys are doing. You're reaching out to me and learning more about my path. Um, and then you get to know me and you say, oh, Paul's actually like pretty happy doing things he likes. It's a possible path. And maybe that's something that could work for me or not. Right. And um, just talking to more and more people. I think a mistake I made, I didn't know I was making at the time when I graduated school is like almost all my friends were following a very tracked path. I didn't know entrepreneurs. I didn't know people living abroad. Now I know way more people. Like I meet people traveling with kids. That's the one thing people always tell you, oh, you can do this now, but you can't do it with kids. But then I have lunch with people living abroad with their kids and their kids are totally adaptable. Basically what you learn is like parents aren't adaptable. <laughs> it's the same people that like, oh, you can't do that. It's the same people that actually just prefer a nice house in the suburbs in the US than like doing anything risky or uncomfortable. But there's plenty of people doing all sorts of weird stuff around the world. You just have to go find it. Yeah, you're right. You're completely right in terms of it's way more now than ever before. We live in this information world where if someone has the will to find how that path works, then um, it's actually very, very easy to find. It's just a couple of clicks and a couple of internet searches. And we, as you said, we can find that path expert and through mediums like podcasts or you know, different content creation ways we can engage with those people and um, explore our curiosity, learn from these people, record these conversations, put it out in the world, see if other people resonate with it. If someone else gets something out of it, something they were hopefully maybe waiting to hear that story. So I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. And people confuse anything that's out there in public as like a mass. They think everything is mass media, right? But me, I don't care what most people are doing. I'm speaking to the very small sliver of people that might be in the traditional path and are like, I can't do this anymore. I need to figure out a way out. I need to figure out a different way of doing these things. I have this curiosity and creativity to protect. I'm speaking to those people. Those are my people, <laughs> right? And um, that's, I, I want to help those people navigate their path and like bring forth what's inside them. Um, I don't like, I don't know how to help the people that are already like crushing it on the default path and like making tons of money and have everything like going in that way, like enjoy it, have a little more fun with it at least, but I don't know how to do that path. Yeah. Um, and just to, I wanted to challenge a similar idea. Um, just because I think it's, uh, I think tension adds a good medium in conversations. And I think we had just an economist on the other day, his name's Ryan Bourne. He works in Washington and he, one of the things he was talking about is the, this economic mind, this economic way of thinking and how you have to think on the margins. Um, and, uh, this idea of working maybe remotely or working in ways that deviate from the traditional path let's say hypothetically speaking, obviously as a philosopher, we're going to speak in a vacuum now, but let's say there's are, there are people that, you know, leave the traditional means and work independently. Doesn't that, doesn't that remove a part of our economic uh, system that will need to be filled? Um, 
don't we need to sustain this to make sure that we can live how we're living at the moment or will that change completely as more people adapt as well? What do you think? I think in 99% of countries in the world, people spend less than 30% of their incomes on food and shelter or something like that. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think I have a moral obligation to work a full-time job. I'm still generating income. I'm helping people start businesses. Like, I don't understand how, like, full-time work is this moral obligation. Like, we don't owe a obligation to a system to generate more capital. I'm not even sure that would be good. Like, a lot of people are doing meaningless stuff. They're generating money, but like, okay, <laughs> is the world getting better? I'm not sure. I don't know. So that being said, Paul, uh, the last question we like to all ask all our guests is everything since the beginning of what we said, speaking about work, speaking about leisure, the different mediums, the different parts, what does your utopia look like? Um, yeah, so I, I wrote an essay about this that is like, I, I think utopias are unfalsifiable, right? Which means you can't prove them wrong, which makes them so alluring, right? You can just believe them forever. And then if the facts change, you just change your explanations. Um, cults do a good job of that. But, um, I think at the same time, you have to have some vision because the alternative to not having some positive vision of the future is nihilism or cynicism, which I've found in my life lead to a life with less meaning, less joy, less connection, less love. Um, cynicism and nihilism are a trap. Um, they don't lead to a meaningful life. And I think my positive vision of the future is one in which like the definition of work is expanded to see all the hidden forms of work in our world already. Um, and one that can kind of expand to see beyond money as the value of a human. Um, we've probably indexed too far in that direction. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's just keeping it small. When I, when I have kids, I want to see them thrive in the fullest sense of the world. Um, I don't care if they go to prestigious schools or earn a lot of money or um, get approval by other snobby parents. Um, so I want to see people thrive. I want to, I want to see my wife thrive in similar ways. I want to see my friends thrive. I want to see you guys thrive and bring you forth the things that you need to bring alive in you. And that's kind of the thing I can control. I can support people on those journeys and uh, do it in my own life too. So thank you for sharing everything you did. I'm just wondering, do you have any last words for um, any listeners or anything for us um, as we wrap up? No, other than be brave, be bold, and uh, dare to be who you are. <laughs>